Welcome again to another episode of Stargate Sundays. Today's episode, uh, season one, episode eight slash nine. We're still not un- really sure how that works. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, entitled The Knox. Uh, how's it going, Ryan? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Been a long week. Yeah, it's been a very long week. I'm ready for some Stargate. I'm ready for some Stargate. I'm ready for some summer. We're getting a small taste here where we are. Unfortunately, supposedly, it's supposed to snow on Wednesday. That sucks. But what are you going to do? I would just like something in between the two. You know, like something that's like not really, not necessarily comfortable, but not uncomfortable. And like, I just, you know, it's too hot for me today. I'm not a hot weather person. I don't like the heat. I also do not care for the heat, but I also would prefer it not to be cold anymore. I'd like to see you know, some... I'm I'm cool with the cold, but not the snow. I'd like to see some 65 to 75 degree weather, as opposed to 80 degree or more. It'd be nice for it to not be like 30 and then 80. Could we get like a week yeah. of like 75 or 65? Yeah, that's not how it works around here. No. So, anyway, so this episode's pretty good. I say pretty good. It's the best episode we've seen so far. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. It it kicks off a huge um, arc in the storyline, uh, the overarching storyline for the whole uh, series. In this case, all ten seasons. This is not the last time we'll we'll see the Knox either. Just going to put it out there. We're going to see them a couple more times, but we're never going to see anyone except uh, the the woman in this episode. She's the only person we'll ever get to see again for the Knox. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. But I wouldn't have um, anticipated seeing the, the guy character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's start with the name of the episode is obviously the Knox, named so decidedly about the race. Of people that become the main focus for this story. Original air date, September 12th, 1997. You know what was going on then? No, lay it on me. Uh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Uh, this this particular week, Judith Merrill had died, uh, age 74. Apparently she was one of the first widely influential women in science fiction. Now, I looked mm. up some of her stuff. Honestly, I've never read it. But... I'm willing to give it a shot. Uh, Some fun facts about her. She was inducted into the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame the same year J.R.R. Tolkien and David Bowie were. That was 2013. Um, Around this time, the first test flight of the F-22 Raptor, which is still used today and is still considered dangerous. That's pretty cool. Not a whole lot in terms of what was going on history-wise. There was some interesting video game history. A lot of okay. a lot of okay. titles were uh, were handed out this particular week. Uh, Silhouette or Mirage, Breath of Fire Three, Hexen Two, and the Shadow Warrior. Interesting. That's an interesting slate of games. Now you say interesting. I don't know any of these games. Honestly, I have no no idea what any of them are about. Hmm. Are you aware of any of them? Uh, yeah, uh, they're all kind of like basic. In the history of video games, there, I would say, standpoints. But uh, Hexen 
is actually uh, Doom, um, Fantasy Doom. Oh, okay. That's cool. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Let's look at some TV and movie history. Some good stuff there. Um, Ellie McBeal premiered on Fox in the U.S. September 8th. Oh, shit. Discovery purchased the Travel Channel for $20 million September 10th, 1997. Funny as they've just been purchased themselves by Warner Media for a few billion. I don't even remember how much. Uh, the Disney Channel. Everyone remembers the Disney Channel was converted from a subscription base to basic cable packages. Um, and Jerry Ryan, you know who Jerry Ryan is, right? Oh, well, yeah, Seven of Nine. Oh, yeah, she makes her first appearance as Seven of Nine in Star Trek Voyager, September 3rd, 1997. That's a pretty good one. Those are pretty good yeah. TV movie history right there. Movies, nothing really big came out. I mean, the release of the game happened on September 12th. Uh, another movie from David Fincher, who, if you're not familiar with, also uh, did Seven with Brad Ooh. Pitt and Morgan Freeman. That was a very good movie. Yes. However, the game did not turn out so well. So <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, going to bother uh, trying to give you the synopsis. If you really want to look it up, go for it. Go ahead and watch it if you want. But apparently it was not one of David Fincher's best. Well, they can't all be winners. They can't all be winners. This episode was written uh, by Hart Hansen. Um, this was his first and only episode that he writes for SG-1. Uh, he does have some writing credits on future episodes, but he was never the main writer at all, uh, except for this one episode. Okay. Pretty big episode for him to have written, but <laughs> we're not going to get into that. Um, uh, for those who don't know Hart, who Hart Hansen is, he's best known for being the writer, producer, and creator of Bones. Now you know Bones! About. I was going to say, you know Ryan's a huge fan of Bones, so... Hey, Bones, look at this bone I found over here. It was next to this bone. <laughs> I've never watched it, but I uh, hear good things. Uh, probably have to pick that up as a binge watch. Have you watched like show. CSI or you know Law and Order or anything like that? I mean, yeah, who hasn't? It's it's kind of along those lines, so you'll like it. But I, I imagine the main focus is instead of semen, it's bones. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's also semen. Ah. Can't have a crime drama without having semen. Just saying. He also yeah. did some work on uh, Joan of Arcadia, which I, uh, I thought was an interesting I show. I know the name of that, but I don't think I watched that at I all. I want to say it was on Fox. It was an interesting show. It was like a modern day version of Joan of Arc. Well, let's get to the director. This guy's a little more interesting. Uh, Charles Coral, director. Uh, he... Coral! This is the first of two episodes that he's responsible for in SG-1. Um, he directed episodes of CSI, Melrose Place, MacGyver, the original MacGyver, not the new reboot of MacGyver, um, Beverly Hills 90210. So he's done a lot of pop culture shows, ones that were huge staples uh, of their generation. And he's also worked with Richard Dean Anderson before, so that's always a plus. Okay. Uh, but here's the big thing. He's he heavy hitter. In the world of cin- cinematography, he did cinematography for Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and he was director of photography for a little, uh, a little well-known cult classic, National Lampoon's Animal House. Hell yeah! Yeah. Unfortunately, he did pass away at the age of sixty in uh, two 
2004, so that's kind of sad, but that's a pretty strong legacy. So you could already tell there's heavy hitters for this episode, so there's some heavy expectations when it comes to the writing and directing of this episode. Let's go into the synopsis. Why not? Let's let's hit it. Why not? After increased pressure to acquire advanced technology on their missions, SG-1 travels to the planet Gaia uh, in order to capture a creature apparently capable of rendering itself invisible. When Apophis and his guards also happen to be there and find them, they are killed and then miraculously resurrected by the Nox. Uh, A seemingly simple race that turns out to be advanced um, who will not meddle with any of their immediate affairs. Can I just say that the... uh, eyebrow game of the Nox is on point. They've got like some straight up fire bangs. Their their hair game in general is lit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I can't tell if they're little antennas coming out the back or those are just like random streaks of hay or something coming out the right, back. Right, right. They they just sticking some flowers in there or yeah. is that like part of them? So for those who who didn't watch the episode, the Nox look very much like a fairy like people. They have um very thick hair that looks almost like moss and bush mixed together. Um their eyebrows are pretty much just covered with roots, which is pretty cool. Uh and they pretty much wear what I would consider pretty cheap, primitive clothing. Well, it looks like it's just made with like uh, instead of like grown natural fibers, like harvesting a specific thing, like uh, linen or flax or cotton. That they just take whatever you know natural fibers they can find and just like weave them together. You gotta give it to to the prop masters on this one because it not only looks primitive, but at the same time, it also looks futuristic. Uh yeah yeah I mean I I I can think of at least one other show where an alien race wore something like this but I cannot think of the name of it so I'll just shout it out randomly at some yeah. point in the episode <laughs> yeah. if I think about it so if anybody if he shouts out Pitara yeah he's not having was that the thing no okay I was gonna say if he decides to shout out he's not having a heart attack he's just telling us that he remembered <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, so let's go over some of the characters and places. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned the Nox, but let's go over the planet first. Uh-oh. So in Stargate Wiki, it refers to this planet as Gaia and has a page dedicated to it. Uh, it says the designation for this particular episode is P3X774. But anyway, that's the license plate number for this this planet. Um, some heavy hitter characters, the Nox and the Fenry. The Nox are peaceful to the point of the uh, massive intolerance of violence. Uh, There are forest fairy-like people who live in harmony with nature. uh, And they're technologically advanced to the point of floating city ships. Um, Similar to what we'll come to find out is the Ancients or Asgard. Um, And then we'll find a little more out, out about that, but I don't want to spoil too much. The Fenry are hunted by Apophis and the Gould forever. Uh, They want to discover its secret way of becoming invisible. This is real interesting to me because they have cloaking technology on their cargo ships. 
like later on we'll find out the cargo ships that they have, the smaller versions of their Hatak vessels, mm-hmm. um, have cloaking. So it's like they know how to cloak. What the, what the hell's the problem? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a mix. I mean, I'm going to have to say it, Ryan. What is it? What is this problem that they've run into? Uh, it's it's uh, it's a plot device. Yeah, it's definitely a plot device that they completely forgot about. <laughs> so the Fenri are a large flying predatory carnivore. And if I, I, I don't know about you, this... Did you look at the picture of one of those things? I didn't look at a picture. I saw it in the show, though. Yeah, yeah. It's weird looking, right? Like, it I can't is even... the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of... I can't remember the name of the race. Doctor Who. The Creatin, I think. I don't uh, know if you remember that. I, I, I don't think i ever saw that that's a good long does. time ago that was like 2006 2007 when that episode came out for it, it makes me think of like the giant bug monsters from starship troopers and mm. like how much i would want to just like smash 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 yeah i could see that it's it's definitely the stuff of nightmares and we don't really get to see it very much in this episode, even though for some reason it no, was the... you only see it in, like, one scene, really. You only actually see it once, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into some of the prominent heavy hitters of this particular episode. Um, number one, Apophis. We actually get to see him. Again, uh, big bad of the series up to this point. Um, he's played by Jamaican actor Peter Williams. Didn't know that, okay. honestly. Okay. Some things that he's been in uh, include uh, playing a convict in Chronicles of Riddick. Oh. Honestly, God, don't remember him in the movie, but now I'm going to have to watch that movie again and see if I can pick him out. He's also a detective in that horrible, horrifying uh, Catwoman movie. Uh, you know, I thankfully haven't seen that. <laughs> don't. It's not worth it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they're, the entire... The entire movie was dedicated to just showing off Holly Berry, and uh, yeah. the plot was just stupid. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's exactly like the, the Jinx role in James Bond. I forget exactly which one it was, but like, they're like, oh, we're going to do a Jinx movie, and it's like, I don't give a shit. Like, she's just really not that engaging of an actress. And there's a lot better people they could have cast for stuff like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's the problem with Catwoman. That was all writing. Oh, no, yeah. From what I hear, that was just a, a mess in every direction. And even Holly Berry is totally on board with calling it the shittiest movie she's ever made. So Yeah, I mean, it. it from, from what I hear, it sounded like a, a film student's wet dream. <laughs> he's also <laughs> been he was also uh on a on an episode of uh the original MacGyver, interestingly enough. Oh shit. Okay. And his IMDB credits you can find that he was on a, an episode of MacGyver. But now, uh, now the real question is, was he in an episode of Law and Order? No, I don't think I saw him in Law and Order, but I don't know. Well then he's not a real actor then. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. You aren't you haven't made it until you've been on Law and Order. Specifically SVU. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the female Knox, his name is uh, Laya. 
Um, we get to see her in a few episodes, like I said. Um, she's the only one that we ever get to see again. Um, she's okay. played by Frida Batrani. Um, she got her start on Northwood, if you're familiar with that at all. Nope. Neither am I. She also did a few episodes of Millennium. Also not okay. familiar with that I am either. familiar with that one, kind of. Okay, so she did a few episodes of that. Other than that, I didn't see much on her IMDb credits that would constitute science fiction. Um, on to little boy, Nefreu. Small child of the Knox is what I wrote down, which is weird. That is a weird way. But I wrote it down, so I'm going to say it out loud. certainly feels like this is the only time we ever see a child of an alien race throughout SG-1. Really? Um, Now, technically, we see ghouled, immature symbiotes. Okay. And when I say alien... What about, like, the... When I say alien race, I mean non... Non Non-human. Non-human. So oh, okay. the Nox are technically not human. We do see right. children on, on other planets, but they're usually human. Well, they, they reveal, right, that they're like hundreds of years old. Yes, they live to be hundreds of years old, for sure. But I, I, I'm, I'd I have to check it. I'm almost positive at this point that they we never see children of a different race ever. Except maybe in Atlantis, and that's how we're not we're not going to go into Stargate Atlantis. Yeah, let's let's hold off. On let's that hold off on that until like yeah, season seven or eight. Yeah, when when Stargate Atlantis actually started. Uh, this kid is played by Addison Ridge. He did an X Files episode, a New Adams Family TV series episode. Uh, honestly, he was just a small child actor and didn't really do much after this. Unfortunate. Okay. Very unfortunate because it seems like that's no, what happened. Maybe he just decided he didn't time. want to do it. That's true. It was like the kid from Hook who decided he didn't want to do it anymore and he ended up becoming a lawyer. Yeah. Or um uh, what's his face that played uh the the little shit king in Game of Thrones? Oh, uh Joffrey. The guy the Yeah, guy. Joffrey. Yeah, Joffrey. He, he was just like he's like, Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, because people hated him, and he wasn't really interested in being tight. I mean, ass. he did a great job as being a, a villain. A little but, shit. Um, yeah, little I mean, best. he did a really good job. Unfortunately, but, some um, people I get could it. not yeah, separate fiction from reality. You see, like, which okay, is a sad we're story. talking about a science fiction show, and, like, I know a lot of you out there really love these things. People really love stuff. And, like, I really love stuff, too. But, like... I just don't understand that. Like these I, people are not their character. I also don't get that. Like I understand the fact that there are actors who play fantastic, lovable characters who are complete twats in real life, and there are also people who play complete assholes in real life, but are pretty, pretty good people overall. Yeah. yeah. It's like you have to separate them from the characters that you've come to know and love. Those are characters. But, I mean, that's literally the whole point of their profession is they're pretending yeah. to be someone else. Yeah. So, so get on that, people. We need a rehab. Yeah. Like, of let's some kind. Take, take a deep breath and just, you know, go outside, touch some grass, and you know, realize like they're just they're just doing their job. <laughs> touch some grass. I mean, touch someone else's grass. Wait. Wait. Don't do that. Don't do that, Kevin. Don't don't, don't tell don't people do to that. do that. <laughs> Go outside. Your own grass. 
I don't even think they should do that. Okay. Are, are, is well, this a euphemism, or are we actually talking about grass? Uh, I, I I was specifically talking about actual grass on the ground. Okay, then my statement makes less. Well, it makes more sense. But don't do it anyway. Either way, don't touch anybody else's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to <laughs> in involving. Um, let's get to the let's get to the main person, the main uh, Knox, who seems to be the leader. He's played by Armin Shimmerman. Now I know you know who Armin Shimmerman. Anybody who's anybody who's ever watched science fiction knows who Armin Shimmerman is. Ryan? Uh, uh, I'll brain, hit you. I'll brain br- not work. I'll brain you right now. Brain, brain not work. He's Give. So his ma- the main uh, character that he everyone should know him from is Quark from Star Trek. DS. Uh, <laughs> now, interestingly enough, I did look up that Apparently, he also played the very first Ferengi ever on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, nice. And then they gave him a new part to play oh. another Ferengi, in this case, Quark, as a main character of a series, which was pretty cool. I mean, you can, like, literally see it directly on his face. Like, it, thinking about it now, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's really a even... skip and a jump over to, to Quark, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. The cork makeup is like pretty extensive, but the main facial features are pretty much his. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So like, yeah, you can tell it's him. Nice. Um, He also does a lot of voice work, but more importantly, he's done voice work for a little video game called Bioshock. Bioshock Oh, oh yeah. What character did he play? He played the voice of Andrew Ryan. What? Believe it or not, he played the voice of Andrew Ryan. Okay. I was so shocked when I read that. I was like, oh my god, now i got to listen to all of Andrew Ryan again. And I can hear it. There's always a good reason to play through Bioshock again. I can hear it. Honestly, I can hear it. I am Andrew Ryan. I can definitely hear it for sure. <laughs> Would you kindly? Would you kindly? It's so good. I was like, oh my god, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. But apparently he does a lot of voice work, and this is one of the more prominent uh, video games that I've played that he's been in. Um, he also was in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series as the principal oh. for a little while until he got killed. <laughs> um, I don't remember that character in that show. I remember a couple of episodes of it, and the reason I remember it is because I knew who the guy was at the time when I watched it. I was like, shit, that's Quark. Uh, <laughs> he did voice work for uh, World of Warcraft, The Mists of Pandaria, specifically. Uh, Mass Effect 3, StarCraft 2, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Diablo Ooh. 3. These are some heavy Diablo! These are some really heavy-hitting video games that this dude has been all over. Yeah. Uh, I hate to say it, but this dude is quintessential to some of the best milestones in pop culture history. For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Now on to Oper. Oper. This is that guy's name. I don't know if they mentioned it in the series, to tell Oper. you the truth. They have to have at some point. Uh, he's the oldest of the Knox at 432 years old. What I have to ask is, what years are they referencing when he does his calculation? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's like, 
How many? How long does it take for the revolution of their planet once to give him a, an idea of what a day is, and then what's the amount of time it requires for their planet to go around the sun? Now, now that's that is definitely an interesting question, but I'm gonna say they probably pried that information out of the heads of the SG One team. Because they did the same thing to learn how to speak English. Okay, we can we could debate that they're telepathic, but at the same time, we could also say that maybe they just maybe they just sort of figured it out the language based on how they but were speaking. It, I'm not sure if it was like an active thing that they were like you know going in there and, and getting this information, or if it was more like a passive, like uh, psychic thing where they're just absorbing. Like the psychic impressions okay. of uh, the humans, and they didn't really address it directly. They did. they, they mentioned kind of, a couple kind of, of times. Well, no, they yeah. mentioned a couple of times. Are you telepathic? They never really gave an answer, though. Right. So I could see. Sure, maybe they are. I mean, we do find yeah. out later on that humans have the capability to evolve into beings with telepathic or uh, ESP-related powers. Why the hell can't an ox? I don't know. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this guy is played by Ray. I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm going to go with Zifo. It's X-I-F-O is his last name. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so he is in a couple of things. The first one I will mention is a movie called Basketball. Oh, uh, I love basketball. <laughs> I honestly if you have love no- no idea who he played in there. I think it was a referee. It, it doesn't matter because every single part of that movie is amazing. <laughs> if you love like '90s humor, like it's so good. If it's fa- so good. If, if you like South UHF Park or Team South Park, Team America, World Police, Team America, uh, you gotta definitely watch, it. watch basketball. <laughs> Um, he was also in a Star Trek Voyager episode. Now, I remember the specific episode that he was in. Um, it's, uh, I don't remember what it was called, though. It was called the one, it was, um, about the one with aliens who have never heard music before, and they actually come across the doctor singing while they're trying, he's trying to help them out with something. And the doctor on that show is called, or is played by a man named Robert Picardo. I'm sure you're familiar Robert Picard. Oh, yeah, Robert Picardo. That <laughs> interestingly enough, he will become a prominent character in Stargate SG One later on in the series. There seems to be a lot of crossover um, with these characters mm-hmm. between uh, Stargate and Star Trek. I mean, yeah, when you think about it, it happens a lot in British television too. A lot of the well, that's, that's, there's only ten actors in England. Kevin, come on. <laughs> With Doctor Who specifically. Anybody who's anybody in England has been in Doctor Who. Um, like Simon Pegg was in was in Doctor Who for an episode. Absolutely. I mean, he's an actor. He has um, to be. Is required. It Nick, Nick Frost was also in, in an episode. Um, I'm pretty sure Kenneth Branagh has been in Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, lots of, lots of people. Um, but yeah, that's the one that he was in. Other than that, there wasn't much of IMDb credit 
going on for him. Doesn't look like he had a whole lot of work, but you know, he was he's, yeah. he's good in anything that I've seen him in, so I can't say anything. Maybe he just does it more casually. Yeah, could could be, or just uh, couldn't find the right roles. You know, true, true, true. Ah, so let's get into the episode. How about we? Get yeah, into let's episode? do it. All yeah, right. let's get in there. All right, so um, we open to the gate room with everyone in the gate room, and there's a whole crap load of people in the uh, control room. Yeah, it's crowded. Uh, um, yeah, they apparently have a special guest, Mr. Secretary. Now, I'm not sure if they mentioned, was it Secretary of the State? I don't even remember which secretary uh, it was. Secretary of Defense. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. So the Secretary of Defense was there uh, to see the opening of the wormhole and check on progress and probably update them. Uh, obviously, he had the same reaction that everyone else has when they first see the Stargate open. Uh, look of fascination obviously goes across his face, and then he's like, "Oh my God, we're so small!" Uh, and, and then he gets right, then he gets right <laughs> into being a pissy little. Yep. Into my and ass. Just, and he just snips right back into a uh, bureaucratic asshole mode. Yeah, it goes from, oh my god, this is the most amazing thing I have ever seen, to, sorry, you're not doing enough. <laughs> Why do you think we haven't been to the moon in 25 years? I don't know, because you, you didn't find the cure to, to all illnesses <laughs> being on a giant barren rock for 10 minutes. Yeah. So essentially what he go, what he does is he says, um, it seems, seems to us or the people in charge after 19 missions, only 19 missions, only 19 separate individual unique planets. Yes. Uh, most of which that we've seen have technology that is well below what we have now sometimes they have medicines that are stronger than ours or it's like so niche that it wouldn't be useful yeah yeah it's like come on uh, all the ones that we've seen from sg1 obviously they've been cultures with level technology that are way below yeah. ours or, or or and there's like the uh the gold dome from <laughs> the uh episode with william russ uh but that like what it doesn't appear to have any real use we outside could, they of that planet. They weren't allowed to take that one, yeah. Right, and I mean, like, they could go and, like, look at it and attempt to copy it, but again, they probably wouldn't really have any real use. Yeah, the only use it would have is in a very specific niche format. Um, yeah, exactly, other so than it's that, not, not so super much. useful. Uh, Carter's there to explain that they've they've gone on 19 missions since the Stargate program became a thing, uh, and she's more than happy to explain everything that's going on. Uh, then this is where we hear General Hammond mention P3C117, I think. Uh, yes. Mm. And then um, Big Papa T, he's staring Prince at the, the gate. Yeah, he's staring at the gate while all of this is going on behind him. And then he turns around and he goes, what kind of technology are you looking for? Because obviously he's aware of many, many technologies that the yeah. gold ha either have in their possession or have, have come across. So it's like, why haven't we been asking him this the whole time? Honestly. Um, so he does mention a, a planet that they uh, that they need to go to. Um with the Fenry, and they say that they go hunted every so often to find out how, how and why it turns invisible. Uh, this is mostly just a good backstory about Popophis killing two soldiers to punish Tilk. So we get yeah. another... another. Um, it's sort of like watching 
Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club describe how he enjoys Christmas so much? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sense you get from this particular story. It's, uh, for those who don't know, it's bad. It's very bad. Yeah. Uh, it's a very depressing Christmas at the um, the Bender household. <laughs> <laughs> so, after that, they're like, oh, invisibility is good. As in stealth? I'm like, what else does invisibility mean, you giant asshole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what else are we talking uh, the, about? Let, let's just point out how much of a fucking asshole this guy is. He is it's, just, like, somehow, like, dumb enough to like have to repeat that stuff that way and it's like come on man first of all i got this is another shout out to um casting they always manage to find the guys who get under your skin and who play the part exactly the way that you want it to play out but also it's like you like we were saying saying it's very difficult to separate those people from the character that they play they're very good at finding people in in Stargate, in my opinion. Yeah, people who are who are very believable, like Colonel Samuels. All I know him as is Colonel Samuels, and I if I ever met him in person, I call him a dickhead because he is. Um, and if I ever met this guy in person, I probably wouldn't recognize him. But <laughs> anyway, so cut to uh, them going through the gate, and now they're on the planet. Jack arrives last, and he's wondering where the hell everyone went. Which is weird, because don't they all sort of come... They, I mean, usually they all come at once. So how yeah, could he most have... of the time you see them walk as a group through. Yeah, so so the only thing that I can imagine is he was sitting there talking to General Hammond about something while they all went through, and he came like 30 seconds to a minute later. That's all I can think of that would happen. Anyway, he comes through and he's all confused. He's like, where are you guys? And then everybody shows up, so it didn't really seem all that necessary but whatever the small interactions that don't seem necessary are probably the ones that make the most sense um so they're they only seem to be carrying dart guns or at least jack is the only one carrying a dart gun it looks like they they may have other weapons but it looks like mostly small arms yeah looks like mostly maybe a couple of uh a couple of uh, machine guns and dart guns mostly it's really all they really can some pistols probably um it looks like they only take about 30 steps away from the gate after talking about how they might have seen the Fenry. And then they're like, well, I don't see anything here. And I'm like, guys, you just took 30 steps. Yeah. 30 fucking steps. It's an entire planet. They have an entire planet to go over. Maybe and they now, were just tired. And then they were like, uh, I guess there's nothing here. Maybe we should go back and grab the gear now. So then they turn around and the gate is gone. Or, or maybe they should have not left the gear behind in the first place. They should have grabbed the gear before they did anything else, honestly. Yeah. But, once again, another tactical mistake <laughs> that didn't make any sense to me. But we're going to get into it. So, now the gate is gone, so is the gear and the DHD. Um, so now they're going to go in search of the gear and the gate. Um, but I'd like to point out something very interesting here. Do you see what Daniel's wearing in this episode? I honestly didn't notice. So if, what, you're uh... watching, so if you're watching, he's got everything on. He's got like elbow pads, a vest on with shitloads of pockets that look super full. 
<laughs> he's got a helmet on with goggles, and he's got like all the boots and sweats that he needs. So it's like he's super, or sorry, over prepared, but at the same time he's under prepared because he's not carrying a gun at all. He's got nothing in his hands. and it's like he's following he's following jack like he's some sort of child following their father it's kind of funny and it's just one of those things i gotta point out because there are no extras in this in this episode there are no extras for me to find anything that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing so i'm looking for all those funny stuff funny little things that people are doing um so uh daniel and jack are, are 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 walking away, uh, and they manage to see the creature slash not see see the creature. I should I should say, it's it's kind of like in Predator when they yes. kind of realize they're being hunted, but they don't know where the predator is, but they yeah. like suspect he's there. It's like you can see the bending of light rays around the uh, object. Yeah, so you know that there's something there, but at the same time, it's very difficult to actually see anything. You only see like an outline. Yeah, there's not much to really focus on. Yeah, that's all they that's all they pretty much see. Um so then they're about to shoot it with the dart and <laughs> Daniel's like, "God, I hope it turns back. It'd be real difficult to find it if it's still invisible." Then they see a staff blast uh get shot off at the creature. Pachoo, pachoo. And um Jack obviously automatically thinks, "Well, what the hell are you doing, Tilk?" So he's like, hey, man, what Tilk, did you just shoot that off? And Tilk goes, no, that wasn't me. And then they happen to see Apophis with only a handful of guards. I think three altogether. First of all, if you're a, yeah. if you're a Gould, this just shows the arrogance of a Gould. It really does. To, to think that you're going to be perfectly safe with a personal shield and a handful of guards. Like, what happens when they shoot? all of the guards down and they trap you with a personal shield in a corner. Well, I mean, it, as a, a, a God, they would never be in that situation. <laughs> this is like, um, this is like, like people who take advantage of other people with religion. Um, when they, do they believe their own bullshit or are they just playing you the whole time? Right. At some point, they will start believing their own bullshit, I think, personally. Well, I mean, if you have enough people supporting your bullshit for a long enough period of time, of course you're going to start believing it. And in the case of Goulds, they have people supporting it for thousands of years, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel gets all fired up, you can tell. It's crazy. He gets he gets all uh, sex nuts and, and, and crazy stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's fired up and he's like, we should surprise attack him. We gotta get him now. We gotta take him back. We gotta get him. Um, and Carter's like, ah, guys, I don't, I don't think we should do that. This doesn't seem like a good idea. Number one, because half the firearms they brought were dart guns. Yeah. Um, and she's like, if we're gonna do it, we should really plan this very carefully. And I wrote in my notes, LMAO. Because this is <laughs> the thing we're going to do. that carefully. No, actually, I, I mean, if when we go into the scene, it's actually planned out perfectly. What well, was, they have a good ambush, but they could have was, set yeah, a lot more. I'm sorry, what was perfectly, or sorry, should I say, perfectly done crappy 
I don't know how I how I should put that, but what was done shitty <laughs> is everyone missed immediately. If that had not been the case, they'd have been successful, and they would have been able to capture Apophis pretty quickly. So what you're saying is they the only preparation they really needed was just to be better, to be better at sh- be better shots. Then we're then we cut to uh, Apophis and his guards strolling through the woods. They're strolling along, strolling along, and if you notice Apophis's eyes, number one, all the eye makeup he's got on make his eyes pop. <laughs> but they're like so wide open, very yeah. wide open, like he's very on, wide like open. he may have just done a line of coke off of one of those staffs open. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, also, all of the guys he's with have yeah. gold emblems. Now, right. I, I don't know if they've mentioned that gold emblems are only for the first primes of Apophis, or first primes of a gold. In this case, they're they're generals, which um, Teal'c used to be one. I mean, you could argue at this point that it's probably reserved for first primes and for personal guard, which they do mention these guys are personal guard. Maybe they get a special cornbread muffin with lunch considering they're still all prisoners the attack gets going with Teal'c who misses immediately even though it seems like he's only 20 feet away um, he does yeah they've surprised surprised them uh, and what's really interesting is it, it works out real well because Teal'c is in front as soon as he fires and misses other two guys sort of get drawn in and they move away from Apophis which is good because now, once they're drawn into an open field, and you've got the high ground, you know you know how good the high ground is. <laughs> we all know how good the high ground is. <laughs> they all the two others come in, and then they've basically got them dead to rights, and all they have to do is shoot them down. So Carter starts firing on them once they're drawn in, and she misses all three of them. And then Daniel starts firing while their backs are turned towards Carter. And he also misses. See where I'm going with this? They've gone full-on <laughs> stormtrooper here, people. Missing pow, everything. Pow, 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 pow. So far, tactically, this plan makes a whole lot of sense, and it was a very good plan. But anyways, it's been executed. I just started blasting. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, I just started blasting. Uh, Jack then comes up behind Apophis and then fires at him, who, uh, instead of sneaking up on him and firing while his back was turned... He lets him see him from the side, and then he has time to, to activate his personal shield. Uh, so Jack gets a few shots off, but it all gets stopped by the personal shield. Uh, and then he turns around and asks for the staff weapon. One of them throws the staff weapon. Very casually, might I mention. Yeah, it's like he, he, anything could have happened to, to that other guy. He could have been shot yeah. down. Uh-huh. So he shoots him down. Or sorry, he throws the staff weapon at him. Uh, Jack is like, oh shit, and then he runs to try and get behind some cover, uh, but he ends up getting shot. Bum, bum, bum. And sort of falls there. And this is where everything falls apart. Carter immediately freaks out and goes, Colonel! And she gets out <laughs> of cover and gets shot. Pyaw. Daniel then immediately, for no reason, gets out of cover and then gets shot. And then Big T manages to take one of the uh, guys down. And he keeps firing as he walks in closer and then realizes that he's just going to die. So he squares off against Apophis, knowing everyone else is dead and he's probably going to die too. Now, what's, what's real cool is that all of the, all of the um, wounds on them 
all smoking, still smoking, as you can yeah. see, which was pretty a pretty good idea on the on the prop master's part. But it was it wasn't really coming from the wound on Daniel, I should say, because when they turn <laughs> ba- back no. and forth, it looks like it's coming from behind him. So they probably had like a fog machine underneath him or something like that. So T squares off against Apophis. Um, he says, Talshaka Mel. Uh, we, I guess we assume this means I die free. But later on, when they start rebelling, like when they manage to get a bunch of Jaffa to start rebelling against Gould, they use the phrase uh, Shalkek Nemran. And I looked it up. I guess one means I'll die free. And the other we. The other one means I die free too. Um, I don't really know how that makes any sense, but it's an alien language and it doesn't really right. matter, I guess. Maybe it's contextual, so that's why it's that different. Uh, I guess that's true. But uh, they, they tend to use Shokak Namran when they greet each other, meaning I'll die free too. Um, anyway, uh, Apophis takes a look around. Seeing how good a shot he is and how good that uh, that trainer is coming in handy. Um, and then he looks back only to find uh, Teal'c is gone. And the rest of SG-1 is gone, along with his Jaffa, who had been shot by Teal'c. Can I, can I say one thing about the scenes with the Papas? Go for it. Uh, so, like, where most of the scenes appear to be, like, in these kind of, like, open areas... Uh, the scenes involving Apophis and his uh, personal guard are in this like enclosed little space, but I I don't know if it's like the letterboxing or uh, just the way they have it set up, the way the set is dressed, but it looks like the most B movie thing that you've seen in the show so far. And it's like it's such an interesting thing. And like if you've seen um, the most recent Moon Knight, the part where they're watching the video, it looks like that. I think I this thought was, it was interesting. I think this entire thing was also it was all shot. The scenes that were uh, on Gaia were all shot at a place called the Mid Valley Viewpoint of the Lower Seymour Conservation Reserve. So they were all shot outside. I think. Although there could have been, obviously, some reshoots where they had to do it and they just built a scene, which is probably what we're seeing. Yeah, I don't know if it was just, like, the the way they were shot or something. It just had, like, a really... It just felt cheaper to me. I I don't know. Boxy. Boxy, yeah. Yeah, I got you. I get get what you mean, actually. It's probably the camera angles. It it, it probably, probably like, the framing or something. It probably made it feel smaller than it actually was. Yeah. Which makes sense, because if you're shooting outside, you kind of want to box it in. Right, right. You don't need all the... Yeah, you don't need that extra... All that extra space. But anybody who's a real cinematography person, uh, please explain to Ryan what's going on here, because that would be awesome. Yeah. Feel free to do that on Twitter. You can DM us or um, on our Facebook. So anyway, we, uh, we fade to Daniel, who wakes up in a hut alive uh, and then he walks over to carter and he sort of starts poking at her skin <laughs> and and this is a giggle moment for sure she wakes up and goes hey what the hell are you looking at <laughs> <laughs> uh which gets me gets me every time um and then it and then he's like uh we're alive she goes oh yeah that'll do it 
This isn't heaven. <laughs> and then they go and wake up Jack, obviously. They start to notice that all of them are, are missing their sidearms and, uh, and their weapons. Um, one of the knocks, in this case, Laia, comes in and greets them. Um, and then they bring him outside to enjoy some, some fresh, fine fruit. Um, and uh, you can see Jack is definitely eating a slice of starfruit. Yeah, that say, was definitely starfruit on there. Yeah. Uh, uh, big applause. Love starfruit. I think it's a pretty good play on words, really. Starfruit, Stargate, you know. That yeah. Was, that yeah. whole chestnut, but it was a good idea. <laughs> Starfruit's a pretty exotic looking one. I would have been hilarious if they had brought dragon fruit and stuff like that, too, because I don't know about you. I didn't know what a dragon fruit looked like until I was like 20. Right. So. Throw a durian in there. Oh, yeah. Not a whole lot of people. I don't know if they had thrown a durian. Isn't that the one that stinks to high heaven when you open it? Uh, you don't have to open it for it to smell. Okay, good. So it stinks yeah. to high heaven no matter where you are around it. Yep. But apparently it's supposed to be good. I don't know. Some people like it. It, From what I understand, it's really, really good in very, very small amounts. So, like, it's um, it's something that would be used as, like, a, a garnish or, like, just a very, very small addition. I could see that. I, I also could see people wanting to cook it to make it taste better. Probably brings out the sweetness. But I don't know. I'm not a cook. I'm also not a fan of uh, durian. Uh, um, I mean, personally, I don't care to experience the negative portion of it, which is the horrible, horrible smell. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm good. So they come out to the Knox, um, who treat them to this, this feast of fruits. Um and they, they question where their weapons are and if they, they were the ones that healed them. Um, Wouldn't it, you be more like, yo, how the fuck am I alive? I, I would have been more ups- I, I mean obsessed about the whole fact that I'm still alive. Yeah. And looking at these people, I'm like, how in God's name were you the people that got, kept me alive or brought me back from the brink of death? Yeah, I, I would instantly be like, what happened? I need to know. Tell me now. So, yeah, they seem pretty okay about the whole thing. Teal'c. I'm sorry, they, 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 the Nox don't seem to really understand at this point. So they're like, oh my god, do they, do they understand us? Do they speak our same language? Daniel tries and speaks different languages to get them to sort of get in on it. Doesn't seem to work. And then they seem. Then they ask where the hell Teal'c is, and then uh, out of nowhere, Teal'c shows up. And my question is, where the hell was he, and what the fuck was he doing? Because that never gets explained. Right. He's he just just over there. Yeah, just showing up. I assume he was looking for Apophis, but at the He's same doing time, like that, yeah. At the same time, why would he have gone anywhere? Especially if the Knox were probably not going to let him get back here to the uh, to the huts. So after a bit of a bit of back and forth, um, where they talk in front of the Knox, who they think can't understand them, which is probably not a great idea, because discussing what you're planning on doing is probably not a good idea in case they end up at some point understanding you. Antius finally ends up speaking. Uh, that's the Armin Shimmerman's character. It seems like they had to watch and learn their language, or as you said before, it could have been that they were telepathically imprinting the language into themselves, mm-hmm. gaining the data. Uh, but I don't know. So they mentioned that it took us took them a long time to learn the language, and they were like, "That was a long time." Seems like you learned it in less than an hour. 
Right. Yeah. Very quick time. Like maybe more than an hour, but like definitely less than like a day. Yeah. It's one of those things where we have no idea about time. I assume it was a couple of hours. Right. Tops. That's a long, that's a really fast time to learn someone's entire language. It seems likely that it was, yeah, just a couple hours. Exactly. Uh, they also mentioned that they took their weapons, and then Jack and Daniel go into trying to explain bad guys. Uh, and the Knox don't obviously want to hear it. They're like, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're okay. We do, we do all right. Um, we just want you to go back. We'll take you back to the portal. So they also end up discovering that the Knox tried to heal the other Jaffa that uh, Teal'c shot. But he resists them. But he resisted them and didn't actually want to be healed. Um, and the, the, the fact that he's got a ghoul in him will probably help the fact that he can heal on his own. They also discover that the Knox don't really, or appearing seemingly, don't uh, defend themselves at all. They just sort of let people be. And they hide and they keep themselves hidden. We end up finding out that the Nox are extremely old race in the galaxy. Their society doesn't make much sense to me. But at the same time, it's probably because they were limited on the budget that they had for this episode. Um, yeah, also, you know, I think with it being the first season, a lot of stuff was how can we make an interesting you know, thing of the week. Uh, and they didn't think much beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably, how can we make this interesting while at the same time maintaining our budget? And they probably yeah. opened up their pockets for this particular episode because the CGI was still good. Uh-huh. Still good yeah. for nowadays. <clears throat> What's interesting about the Knox is they they don't actually... They're not asking for the help because here's our heroes of the story coming to them and saying, these bad guys are going to do stuff to you. And if that guy is allowed to leave, he's going to come and bring those other guys back. And you would think that at some point you would have gotten the hint that the Knox probably have a plan for that, but they don't really say it. And it may be because they don't actually understand our language as well as they, they think they do. Or they can't, be, con- they can't be. convey what they want about us. Or they're, or they're unwilling to. Or they're, they're omitting certain things because they don't want to, to do it. I don't know. It's, it's a real, it's a real enigma, in my opinion. Um, it seems. I mean, to me, it seems mostly like, you know, why would the we tell these people we, like, basically, just met. Even though we healed them, uh, you know our potential information. They, I mean, they they are pacifists to the point of of being completely intolerant of violence, and I guess it's for good reason. They've probably lived in harmony for centuries. Obviously, we do find out that the, the Gould have been hunting for as long as Oper has been alive, and knowing that fact, and knowing that the Gould have never come and found them at all. It means they're yeah. probably either very good at hiding or very good at keeping the secret. I mean, SG-1 should should just sit there and say, okay, whatever. Right. Like, they're they're like, oh, we're, we're so worried about you. There's all this other, like, we haven't been found in, like, hundreds of years. Yeah, so Maybe it's, we know what we're doing. But, of course, our heroes can't sit idly by because they feel somewhat responsible. 
for yeah, everything. and I mean, like, it's, you know, very noble, but it's also, like, Compl- It's completely unnecessary, and it will come to find out that, that diving headfirst is definitely not the best idea. Sometimes you have to sit there and understand before you can take a dive. Uh, cut to Shackle and Teal'c in the hut. Um, Big T offers Shackle an opportunity. <laughs> well, first of all, Laia comes in and says... And, and and says to him, are you going to hurt him? Because I won't stand for it. And Teal goes, no, I don't plan on doing that. I am just going to wait till he comes awake, and then I'm going to talk to him. And then she's like, he's been awake this whole time. And Big Papa T turns to him and goes, <laughs> he goes, were you going to cut me in the, or stab me in the back when I turned turned away? And then they, obviously we find out that there's some history between Shackle and uh, Teal. But I'd like to point I'd like to point out this tiny little conversation that they have, even though it lasts less than thirty seconds, because it um it it plays to the whole overarching story. Up to this point, we're sort of dealing with religious zealots who are on a crusade to make sure that their god remains in power to an effect. And you'll notice from Shackle's responses that arguing with a religious zealot who has been brainwashed since they were a kid is sort of a moot point. There's just no point to arguing with them. And everything can be argued against as long as you state that faith is the reason that you believe. That's a really hard philosophical point to get across. And it's pretty well done in only a 30-second conversation. Yeah, I felt like it definitely conveyed its point. Uh, well, I feel like, you know, obviously it's, um, it, it's foreshadowing, like, stuff coming forward, and it's, for something so brief, because, like, you know, it's not the focus of the episode, I think it is well done, and of course, Christopher Judge does a, a great job. Oh, uh, Big Papa T, always does great Big job. Big Papa T. Big Papa T. I'm gonna have to make a Big Papa T-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So then we go back to Sam, Jack, and Daniel, who are sitting and making bows and arrows uh, with which to defend themselves as well as the knots. They do a pretty good job. Like they built for... a lot of arrows in a very short span of time. Yeah, he has a whole ass quiver full of arrows, and like the bow is like really shaped very well. Yeah, that definitely wasn't made by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that was a very good-looking bow. Um, It was, yeah. What's interesting here is that Daniel starts to argue against whether or not they should be making weapons. Um, And he he actually mentions, he says, we should try to be more like the Nox. And here's me sitting here going, what the fuck are you on about, Daniel? Earlier, you were no-holds-bar on your way to slit their throats just to get to your wife. <laughs> Fuck them up! And you were like, yeah, no, no, maybe maybe I should change my mind and be more pacifist. Don't fuck them up! <laughs> Don't fuck them up. During this time, Nefreyu and Jack have a little bit of a heart-to-heart. Uh, Nefreyu acts, or argues like what a child would argue. But also, at the same time, you kind of get a feeling that he's arguing smarter. I have a hard time conveying this particular point, but he's arguing what the Knox would argue in the first place, 
And you can't tell whether or not he's doing it because he understands or he's doing it because that's what he's been taught. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly, my question would be exactly how old is he? Because if he's, you know, like this this race that can be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, like as, you know, a quote unquote child, he could already be over 50 60 years old yeah this is like in the mandalorian with the the, the child we have we know yeah. he's 50 years old but he still looks like a baby so right this kid but could yoda be... was something like 900 years old when he died yeah so this kid could be like 30 40 years old and and he he just looks like a child at this point because that's just the lifespan and how it works for them uh so <laughs> you got to uh you got to give him some credit because I think he actually understands and he would prefer them to make peace. But Jack uh, says it's not that simple and it's because he knows the Gould probably better than Nefreyu at this point. The Gould don't... Yeah, the since Gould, they don't really interact with the Gould, they hide from them so they're not they seeing... Sit, yeah, they only sit there and observe yeah. what they do and that's Hunt. That's really all they ever do when they come to that planet. For good reason, Goulds do not do not do peace. They're only interested in power, accumulating it, and having slaves, which is very megalomaniacal and, and exactly now, around their character. Now tell me if I'm on to something, because it would seem like uh, a, a culture that doesn't believe in peace in, at all would maybe have had that set in motion by like a, an antagonistic force. So like if they're like going out into the stars and like hunting and colonizing, whatever it could of course be like completely internally motivated, but it also seems like it could be motivated by the need to, um, you know, take for themselves. So their opponent doesn't have uh, the means to retaliate. That is interesting and completely on par with their character. The ghoul themselves will actually see the planet. Uh, in a few seasons. We'll see the planet that they were born from, um, and they grew side-by-side alongside another race of beings. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but they... The fact that they grew as as a parasite speaks to what their entire culture is about. So they take what they want. They don't... Yeah, you know, the circumstances of their change. They don't make what they want. They always take what they want. So that their evolution has always been to scavenge from other uh, races. They did it when they first uh, came into being. They probably continued to do it until they found a race that was much more intelligent than they were. Uh, and they took what they wanted from them. Using their evolutionary ability to take over a host but that was good that was a very good observation because that's exactly who they are and what they do cool 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 as far as an underlying force that's driving them just their evolution really i don't think that there there's no one there's no one behind the mask there if that's what you're asking yeah yeah I, i i suppose that's what i was asking it kind of felt like that's where you were going for like there's a big bad behind the mask no yeah like um, you know like you know how, like they would appear like you know evil and just like you know colonizing, but like really they're doing it because the you know, sinister force X is 
acting against them and could act against the rest of the universe. So they're keeping it in check with whatever. Oh, no, that's a good point. No, no, that's not it. That's definitely not it. Okay, so they're they're just they're just dildos. They're, they're just giant dill holes. Yeah, um, yeah. there yeah. are big bads of the ghoul, like ones that are more powerful, um, that end up coming into play later on and become the bigger bads, okay. other than um, uh, Apophis. So they they essentially function like um like warlords, right? Like they're they're not technically separate, but they're also not necessarily going to work together. No, they call themselves system lords. Um, which it's pretty good since they're all from the stars and they they rule over star systems in general. So they you'll you'll end up seeing a bunch of them later on. In fact, in probably a couple of episodes, we'll end up seeing them. Um, but yeah, they all they all sort of war against each other to hold on to specific parts of the galaxy. But uh, as far as bigger bads, there's really no one in our galaxy that's bigger than they are. Oh, I like how you teased that uh, in our galaxy. Ah, yes, yes, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Where, where were we? Where were we? Daniel and Oper uh, are talking to each other. Uh, Daniel's obviously interested in learning more about the culture of the Knox, which makes a lot of sense. He's very interested in cultures, but what's what's interesting and what I find disconcerting is probably the best word is you don't know if it's nefarious or not. Because at this point in time, we don't know Daniel's under... The only thing about his character that's underlying and motivating him is his path to find every possible means of getting his wife and his brother-in-law back. To find Shiari. Shiari. <laughs> but so when he, when he talks to these other cultures, I can't tell if he's being sinister or not. When he's and, trying uh, to, am I wrong in saying that you, you said that he has like a heel turn near the end of the series? He has a what? A heel turn, you know, like in in wrestling, uh, there's like the the hero wrestlers, and then there's sometimes they take like a a heel turn and they turn around and they're now I'm a bad guy. Daniel, no, no, okay. no. He takes he turns into a badass. Like he goes from this meek little archaeologist to Captain Badass later on in the series. But there's a lot that goes on with his character arc that I would prefer not to mention at this point in, okay, uh, okay. in the yeah, series. We, we gotta move on. We don't have infinite time. No, yeah. So, But uh, in these early days, it always seems like it's very nefarious when he starts talking to cultures, being like, well, I, I, I don't know if he's doing it in order to gain technological advantages that he knows that they have, or if he's just doing it because he's genuinely interested. Uh, to me, it seems like he's genuinely interested. Yeah, spoiler alert, he's genuinely interested. At the same time, during these early days, he probably was also interested in gaining some sort of technological advantage. Because that's the, what the Stargate program was for in the first place. Well, yeah, also, like, you know, you're, you're not going to go toe-to-toe with the gold with... um. The stuff you have, like you're you're gonna come out on the bottom. Yeah, not with four shields. It doesn't matter what kind of nuclear weapons you have. They're if they can block them, like in Independence Day. Everyone's seen yep. Independence Day. You shoot the biggest nuke you possibly can at them. If they they have a four shield, it's probably gonna do almost nothing. Be like a net on on the on the it, wall. Yeah, it's gonna be just a fizzle. 
It's gonna, it's gonna be a smoke snake. It's gonna be a smoke snake. Uh, smoke snake. God damn it. So, uh, so, anyways, I think this cuts back to Shackle and uh, Teal'c, where Shackle pretends to be helpless, and then Laia comes in after he starts screaming and says, "What did you do?" And then every sort of chaos breaks loose. And Shackle manages to not only injure Teal'c, but also what seemingly seems no, fatal blow to Laia. Yeah, a, a seemingly fatal blow to Laia. Uh, and then he comes out and tells everybody, and Shackle's like bolting away. So Shackle bolts. That's funny. Kingsley Shackle bolt <laughs> just came to mind from Harry Potter. Shackle bolt. Yeah, but Shackle bolts away, and then. <sighs> You know what? What's interesting? When we witness the healing ceremony for the first time, when they mm-hmm. go to heal Laia, doesn't it feel very Zelda in the fairy temple kind of interesting? Um, yes. Exactly. It absolutely does. And now that you say that, I can definitely hear that, like, um, the music, music. For sure. <laughs> the music. Definitely hits a, little, a, a couple of notes that seem very uh, Zelda, or sorry, Link in the Fairy Temple, but from The Legend of Zelda. Uh, it's, this episode, for the most part, I feel like definitely has like a very Zelda feel to it. Yeah, they're forest fairy people. Of course it feels like Legend of Zelda. Yeah. But while that whole thing's playing out, Shackle somehow is sneaking forward, backward. Like, if I had just escaped and had no weapons on me, I wouldn't be going back to my captors uh, to find, you know, what they're doing, right? I would be running as far the fuck away from them as possible to go find my friends so that we can come back and then kill them. True, true. But remember, he's expected to come back with something. And, uh, you know, the, the result of not doing so could be severe. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. A good point. You win that. You win this round. Woo! <laughs> what do I get? What do I get? You get uh, another beer. Oh, oh, disappointed. Disappointed. Go get a Red Bull or something. I don't know. Yes. Uh, so it I thought... gives me wings. So... Not sponsored by Red Bull. No. So Shackle notices the healing ceremony that's going on. Or the healing ritual. Uh, and notices that they can become invisible. So he's like, oh, he puts two and two together. They're the people Did who... you get uh, a vibe from that meme of the guy wearing the yellow suit, like, rubbing his hands and licking his lips at that point? Um, yes. I did. I wouldn't have gone with that particular meme, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, he was very excited. He was... Yeah, he he definitely felt sexually aroused at that point. <laughs> so he he runs away, obviously, to go tell uh, Apophis and the rest of them about it. Uh, and then Nefreo pops up behind um, behind Jack and was it Teal'c or was it uh, Daniel? Uh, I think it was Daniel. Daniel, yeah, because Teal'c was hurt at this point, so he was, see- he was sitting there healing. Nefreo's like, oh, I want to see a ghouled. And it's just a kid doing kid things. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and in this instance, it's a kid doing kid things when there are no natural predators uh, around them. Because at this point, you kind of get the 
the you may not know that they have advanced technology, but at this point you get the sense that they don't worry about anything because nothing can hurt them. Right. They, nothing can hurt them because nothing can find them. Yeah. So obviously there's a sense of, for this kid that nothing really is scary enough to, to hurt him because he can just hide himself if he ever wanted to. And then obviously uh, Nefreo ends up going off on his own. And uh, they all get scared after they get Laia back up. And so they off they uh, end up going to search for him. Nefreo obviously ends up coming up on the Gould and the Jaf- Jaffa. Jaffa. And then we see the little hand device that the Goulds like to use. And obviously he hurt Nefreo pretty bad in this case. But what I want to convey is a, it's a nice statement that ex- ends up becoming a, a sincere... Um, I want to say rule set for Jack in the future. Um, when Antius mentions the fact that the very young do not always do what they're told. They say that several times. It ends up becoming a pretty big staple, I think, for Jack's character. Knowing what's going to happen in the future, it does feel like that ends up becoming a, a big thing for him. Especially in the much later seasons. And they do mention it again at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they go and they search for Nefreo. They end up coming upon Nefreo, uh, who is probably either lifeless or on the brink of death. And then they're going to begin the healing ritual. And Jack is like, well, we got to fucking defend you. And they're like, we'll do it our own way. Go away already. <laughs> like, they're like, annoyed. Will you please leave? Like, we've asked you to leave. Please go away. <laughs> Let us do our thing. Jack says he's not interested in watching these people die, but what he's really interested in is protecting him and possibly killing Apophis or taking Apophis prisoner. Standoff part two. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously they take up arms. Um, This time they do much better. Uh, Big Papa T grabs giant frickin' log. Uh, They've got a couple of bows and arrows. They seem to do much better this time round. Uh, they get the drop on him. They take out a couple of them. Apophis is just about to get his. And then, boom, what happens? He disappears. He fucking disappears. Again. Uh, after this whole healing ritual and, and such has gone off, the Nox show up and say, Sorry. Sorry about that. We can't let you do this. It's time to go. And they take him back to the to the gate. Then we have the big Nox reveal at the end. Um, the Nox have been telling him the whole time we're fine we don't need you come to find out that they are extremely advanced and they end up showing us a very large city ship is what i'll call it i will mention that this is very similar in technology to the ancients which uh we haven't really gotten much of them yet but we'll see them very soon not them specifically but we'll see them in somewhat in some way and then Daniel's like, maybe they were trying to tell us this whole time that they were going to be fine, and we just weren't listening. And uh, if you didn't slap your forehead at that exact moment, well, just why? Like hindsight, when you actually watch the episode and you think about it, like they did say it a bunch of times. It 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 may not have been directly like we're going to be fine. We have technology enough to to protect ourselves. What they were trying to say was... mental enough to be like, we can handle ourselves. Like, we're fine. We can do this. Like, we can hide. We can heal. And we're going to be fine. 
just go go leave us alone. We'll be fine. And they did try and say it a bunch of times, but I mean, can you blame our heroes? They obviously wanted to protect what they thought was a helpless race, who is not so helpless because they have a ship the size of fucking Chicago uh, that can fly and just hides out. It's it's uh it's like the the island of Sokovia during uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yes, it's, it's fully as flying on its own, uh, and it's completely imperceptible to the eye unless they let you see it. Exactly. And like it, not even like the shimmery, light bendy stuff. Like straight up, invisible. you would never know it's there until they revealed it. It was one of the big screw ups for them early on where they find out that they could have had an alliance with a technologically advanced race that's far superior to the Gould. And you don't even know how many of them city ships that they have. They could have multiple of them. They could have thousands of those ships, but we have no idea. I have to assume that there's probably not thousands of those ships. There's probably maybe a few, a a few dozen. I only say that because we never interact with the Nox again at all except for when Laia comes around it means that they if they're not interacting with them they're not moving out into the stars they're staying on their own planet so maybe they have a a dozen or so of those ships just hanging around the planet it's like hey i'm gonna go on one of my big hiking trips down down on the planet so then they go do that and then they go back up to their city ship oh that was a nice vacation now time to get back to work if you know what i mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) So that's the that's it. They've re- they've revealed it. They've opened the gate back for them and then sent them on their way. And that's the end of that episode. Very good episode overall, and it's a real step up. Let's get yeah. into let's get into some fun facts real quick, and then we'll get into the uh, the rewatchability scale. Do it. So here are my fun facts after having watched the episode. Uh, this is the first episode of all of them to first, uh, sorry, to feature. A race from the Alliance of Four Great Races. We don't know about that just yet, but it's coming like three episodes. So give me a break here, people. Spoilers! Um, um, Teal'c is referred to as a Sholva, or traitor, for the first time. Ooh. He gets referred to this for a very long time until the Gould are finally defeated. So we're going to hear a lot of Sholva. Every, literally every time a Jaffa comes across him, he goes... Ah, so you're the Shulva. That's Shulva. real. It's real nasty about it too. Like it's it's like a, they're calling him the c word. Like I won't even say the c word. That's what they're rude. calling him. That's so rude. Well, I will end up having to endure it for about seven seasons. So there you Shulva. go. Uh, this is the first time he uses the phrase "I die free," which will end up becoming a huge um, thing for the Rebel Jaffa later on. This particular episode has a similar plot. Uh, reveal like the uh, the original series Star Trek uh, episode Errand of Mercy. That's when the one uh, that's to give you a small summary. That's the one where Klingons invade a planet of simple farmers. Uh, the Federation tries to help them, but the Organians refuse it. The Organians oh. then reveal that they were energy beings the whole time. Oh, reverse Uno. <laughs> so very similar to the to the Errand of Mercy in this case. Believe it or not, a clip of this episode, specifically the clip of uh, Antius waving his arms at the gate to reveal it at the end, mm-hmm. is shown in the movie Fanboys. Really? Yeah, it's while they're sitting in the hotel room 
just flipping through channels. Yeah, I think we'll learn. You want to know Vegas. something interesting? Yeah, yeah the I do. main character of that movie, Fanboys, mm-hmm. went to my church. For what? Yeah. Which one? There's a couple the, of main characters. Is the one that's dying of cancer in Fanboys? Uh, no, the one that was uh, like the business guy. Uh, really? Yeah. Damn. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I know. I didn't know him that well, but it, it it's, yeah. <laughs> small world. A very small world. Uh, one of my sister's friends has a cousin who was in the Accepted movie. Did you see Ooh, Accepted? He I pl- love Accepted. He played the guy who... Um, I can blow. I, I, I want to blow things up with my mind. Oh my god! I yeah. love that guy. That was one of the best small parts. And yes, uh, yeah. He, apparently, they got their cousins. She saw him at a uh, at a wedding once. Oh, very nice. Very small world. We kind of have to play uh, six six degrees of Kevin Bacon one of these days. Oh god! Yes. I think I'm four <laughs> because I know someone who is three. Uh, or I, like I imagine I'm probably in the same-ish area because he does a lot of stuff in the Chicagoland area. Mm. That's where I'm, where I'm from. So go ahead and yeah. play six degrees of Kevin Bacon when you're, when you got a, a chance. Uh, anyway, let's go, <laughs> let's go back. Um, so that's, yeah, those were all of my, my fun facts. Let's get into the rewatchability scale. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a solid five for me. Everyone should always rewatch this episode. There is a multitude of important points for the greater overall story arc. Um, including the new tech demanding. This becomes a huge point and obviously leads to some tension between the SGC and the intelligence agencies involved, even leading to a storyline where there is a rogue intelligence division that ends up going off-world in secret to steal technology. So that's going to be a cool cool story arc when we get to it. Um. We meet the first of an ancient race of aliens that eventually becomes a known staple of uh, the Alliance that I mentioned. Um, and then we get a sense of how difficult it will be to turn the Jaffa, who are, like I said, religious zealots, who actually believe the Gould are gods. That also plays into a very long story arc that lasts seven seasons on this show. How about you there, uh, Rai? Where are we going with rewatchability? Uh, it's definitely like high for me, but it's it's not like exact five. Um, I'm gonna say like a four point seven, four point eight. Like you definitely should rewatch this, even if you're um like not wanting to watch every episode. You should definitely watch this one. Um, I think there's just like some small technical things that kind of take you out of the episode. Uh, that kind of like take those like you know point two, point three away from me. Fair, fair. Um. Where like just you know ends your suspension of disbelief, uh, and kind of takes you out of the moment. Um, but like you know the acting was good. Um, I think you know the way that they have uh, the interactions between the Knox and SG One is really good. You know there, there are maybe some things I would do a little bit differently in hindsight, but I think you know what episode wouldn't have make it made a judgment. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. So in this yeah, case, so in this case the points that. off are for being able to see the bra straps, as it were. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're, they're just little things um, that I think just took away from the overall episode. But overall, 
very, very, very solid episode. Oh yeah, this one's a good one. Um, so that's that's all we have for you this week, guys. Uh, please join us next week for uh, Comic Book Fridays as well as another Stargate Sundays. We, uh, what are we doing for Comic Book Fridays? Uh, so as you know, uh, for this next episode of Comic Book Fridays, we are stepping away from deep diving into some of the larger groups of the Marvel Universe, and we're going to uh, set up a little universe of our own. So we're going to find a independent comic book from any comic book distributor. We're going to talk about the story that we'd like to see, uh, and then we're going to cast them as a movie and talk about what we'd like to see in the movie version of that story. Uh, so we're going to have our own little uh, comic book casting session and, uh, you know, storyboarding. Nice. That does sound like fun. Can't wait for you guys to, to see what I do. <laughs> so next week <laughs> for uh, Stargate Sundays, the episode's called Brief Candle. Uh, this one is going to be very good. We get to see Jack be infected with a virus that causes him to age at a rapid pace. Oh, so, no, a virus. Exactly. Will we see Captain Carter figure out a way to save him? We'll I'm going to guess no. I'm going to say no. Ah, oh, solid, solid possible. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I, solid know, maybe. I'm going to go with solid uh, maybe on this one. Here's a supposition that uh, I totally forgot to mention earlier. Uh, what do you think of this concept? Uh, what if, what if, the rest of this whole series is just like the dying throes of their brains because they actually died in this episode? Holy crap, man! That's dark. <laughs> gotta throw it out there. I gotta uh, throw it out there. It's pretty possible, I guess. I mean, and... I know there are other like series that do stuff like that, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know the rest of the like, series. So like what do the you entire uh, movie of um, Repo Man. Yep. Where he dies in a in a fight that was like forty five minutes into the movie, and the rest of it is all just in his head. Yeah, and there's a, a movie called Waking Life, which is all about uh, whether your life now is really happening or if it's like the death throes of your brain in the last three minutes of brain activity. Jesus Christ, man, that's. Too much to it's, think about. On it's a a really a lot, right? Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's just start with or end with um, following us on Twitter and Facebook for more of Ryan's crazy shit on a Sunday night. Um, yeah. Now you got shit to think about. You got some like bombs going off. In your don't forget head. to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at uh, Seven Days to RSG uh, for both. That's our handle for Twitter as well as Facebook. Um, we are sponsored by today. Uh, one last day of summer. Because apparently the Ooh. thermometer cannot decide what the hell we are doing with the weather lately. You know, you know I I just I just want two days to have the same temperature. Just two. <laughs> please. Two in a row. Not two separately. Two in a row. One day, then the next day. Gotta throw out a uh, special thanks to people in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, because apparently we are very popular there. There's been over 30 downloads in that area. Ooh. Uh, so thank you, people. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, uh, you, thank you. We have exploded a little bit. We had a very good couple of downloads the last couple of weeks, which was nice. Nice to see that you guys actually like listening to us. He has to edit the videos, and then I we're usually talking on Discord, too. So I'll be saying something to him while he's listening <laughs> to me say something. He's like, bro, I can't 
I'm I not can't listen to two you. of you. I was like, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm pay- paying attention to past you. <laughs> uh, we're we're available now on Stitcher, Deezer, uh, right on Pandora, but we're TuneIn, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, of course, uh, Spotify. So go ahead and listen to us. Go ahead and tell everybody about us. Uh, just give us a chance. Give us a chance on National Take a Chance Day. Give us a chance. Yeah, take a chance. Uh, this episode brought to you by Take a Chance. <laughs> so. That's it from us. We wish you seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone. Later. Later.